Awesome. Have a great time, kids. We love you. Praise God. How is everybody? Oh, they sound like you meant that. That's great. Happy summer. Summer definitely showed up this week. Congratulations, Isaiah. James, we got some state champ level athletes in the back over there. You guys rocked it. I must say, you look really good in that picture too, man. It looked like a model cover right there. I'm just saying. Now, don't go check it out, girls. It just That was, uh, no, I'm proud of you guys. Thank you so much. And National Archer right over here, Kenna Book. We got some athletes in the house. She made it to Nationals. She just... I know, I know that it wasn't your personal best, right? But what did you, you ranked way up there for a national archer. We're so proud of you. We praise God for that. So that's great, man. We got some athletes in the house. That's good. Um, but more than that, we want to be uh, also with that. We want to be those who excel at righteousness. So I feel like a disclaimer for today for what I want to share with you. I want to close out this series about the use of our mouth what we do with the most powerful instrument in all of God's creation. This mouth of ours has the potential to bring life or death in it. Uh, you know, I was just reading an article. I'm still a science geek, so I get these science articles and stuff like that. And I was just like keeping up on the latest discoveries, especially in medicine. And a biomedical engineer, I think he's Korean, has just nearly perfected a technique to use highly concentrated sound waves to kill cancer cells. Yeah. Sound waves. I mean, I had some ultrasound therapy on my shoulder when I separated it one time to kill scar tissue, and that's been around for a while. But he's managed to perfect it, kind of like how light you can concentrate and make it a laser. You can do that with sound too, apparently, to kill cancer cells. Sound can kill cancer. But of course, we've known that since the day that Jesus said, come up out of that grave, and it happened. So, so we have that power. That's why our mouth is so important. It literally sends something into the atmosphere that God used to create all things. We made in his image and likeness have the same power. So today I'm sharing more of a, I'd like to raise us up as a house and equip us today to be those who are countercultural countercultural. You know that word? It's a fancy word to say we're going to be swimming against the current when the current's going in an unrighteous direction. I love that, you know, the, the pre-thing for the chosen, and there's, there's that one fish that starts swimming the opposite of all the rest of the fish. See, now you've got to watch the chosen, or you're going to miss a lot of references here. And then all of a sudden, some others start to swim in the opposite direction. That's us. We've always met, before the 60s existed, we were the original countercultural movement. The 60s brought destruction to a lot of things. I mean, there's some good things that came out of the 60s too. There's some pretty decent music. And my mom, I came out of the 60s, so there's some good things that happened, I think, in the 60s. So, so there are, I mean, there, but, but we are, for the last 2,000 years, every tribe, tongue, and nation has received a countercultural influence because the kingdom of heaven has come, and heaven has a very different culture from the way we build this world. And the more we get baptized into it, the more we become enculturated into the kingdom way of doing things, the more this world begins to turn around. It doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen by us shouting at the moon. I read a great book years ago about spiritual warfare, and this prophet, John Paul Jackson, wrote a phenomenal book. If you know him, he's got a powerful prophetic ministry. He's one that takes teams of people to Salem, Massachusetts on Halloween night. That's like a high holy day for pagans. And he goes there, and they have all their things with fortune tellers and you know all these potions and things like that so he sets up a tent full of prophets and he said free prophecy 
and, and you come in there and get a word of the Lord and there are, there are reliable words of knowledge, power of God showing up on that. But he had a great vision the Lord gave him about spiritual warfare when it's done with zeal but no wisdom. And he had this vision, the Lord woke him up at night about a man standing on top of a mountain throwing hatchets at the moon trying to hit it. And the Lord spoke to him and said, that's what your prayers are like. Right now, you're just shouting at principalities and powers. You're shouting at the devil, but I have a more wise way and I have a more effective way to do spiritual warfare, and it's bring the kingdom of heaven into a place and the forces of darkness become displaced. That's, that's the way we do it. You know, if you read through the book of Acts, and I recommend you gotta do it. Read the whole thing one time. That is our story. That's the beginning of the church. That is what, it's not, somebody called it the Acts of the Apostles, but that's not the name of the book. When Luke wrote it, he didn't write at the top, the Acts of the Apostles, my most excellent Theophilus. He didn't write it like that. Somebody put that title on there. You know what that book's about? That book's about the seed of the church growing into a mustard tree, which now has grown to cover the entirety of the earth. And it grew that way by being very different from the world around it. And so when, when you read about Paul, He's in the city of Ephesus, a city full of idols, like the worldwide stronghold for Artemis of the Ephesians, a really powerful goddess, and, and, and they had uh, idols, and, and the whole city's culture and economy was built around their temples. Now, you don't read about Paul. He was there for two and a half years, and there's no record of Paul going to like one of the temples and cursing it and yelling at it and, and tearing down strongholds of darkness like that. Nope. He every day was teaching the kingdom of heaven in the school of Tyrannius. Every day he was imparting Christ to those who would come and learn, and they grew, and it says all of Asia heard the word of the Lord as a result of what was going on in Ephesus. So you want to know what caused the riot? And as you know, if you've read anything about Paul, there's going to be a revival or a riot and usually a little bit of both wherever he went. That's how it ought to be with the kingdom of heaven. So the riot started because the strongholds of darkness had no more footings. They had, uh, the people weren't buying the silversmith. Demetrius the silversmith was going out of business. He had like a 50% off sale, like an oriental rug clearance sale because nobody was buying his idols anymore. That's how we roll. That's how we do spiritual warfare. That's how we displace darkness. We bring the light and the darkness can't stand its presence. So how we use our mouth as our most effective weapon. So today, the word I'm about to share with you, do not receive it as a corrective word. Do not receive what I'm about to say as a, hey, we gotta, we gotta grow in this thing. I'd like to raise up a company of saints who, when there's corrupt communication going around, that we have the wisdom of God on how to cause it to stop right in its tracks. So today I wanna share about um, this corro being a corrosion inhibitor. So the scripture says, Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. That means a rotten or corrupting word. That means something that when it's spoken will undermine the kingdom of heaven's work in a person or in a community or in a nation. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. We looked at that last week about learning how to speak more frankly with one another, how to just speak in the moment, not walk away seething about something that just happened or not walk away from a situation. You, you ever finish a conversation in the car after you drive away? You know you do. You're driving in the car and you just thought of a great comeback. And you, oh, I wish I would have thought of that before. Don't look at me like that. You all do it. Even if you don't drive, you do it. You're sitting in the back seat going, oh, I could have said that so much better. I could have, oh, that would have been a great zinger. And we, and we have these conversations afterward because we haven't learned 
or haven't become comfortable enough to just speak frankly in the moment, just to be honest. I've got no agenda. I have no ulterior motive. I just want to make sure nothing breaks our connection with each other. And so I've got to tell you honestly what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking right now, and how I'm receiving you. A community that can excel at that, that's a people of light. That is a lighthearted community. That's a people that will never leave a gathering of, of you know, fellowship or connection of any sort wondering, I wonder if I'm really accepted there. I wonder if I belong. Sometimes I just don't feel like I belong. But if we excel at this thing where everybody's honest, where we're just able to speak the truth in love, we build up, we grow up into all things who is the head, which is Christ. You're all with me with that? That was like six of you. Do I need to re-preach last week or did you miss it or something like that? Because that's the community where everybody's comfortable. That's a community where you don't wonder if you fit in. Well, you know, um, I'm, I'm from New York. I lived in Boston. I worked at this Boys and Girls Club in South Boston for seven years. And I'm a Yankee fan, so that was really hard for many reasons. And I was a token Christian in the group. I, I was a, a bunch of Catholics and, you know, kind of the unbelieving kind of Catholic. They called me Ned Flanders. That, that was their nickname for me. I'm just checking to see how many of you laugh and know what I'm talking about with that. He's from The Simpsons. He's the neighbor to The Simpsons. I, didn't, I never watched The Simpsons before, but because they started calling me Ned Flanders, I, I got to check this out and see what they mean by that. But he's the Christian that lives next door to The Simpsons, and he's, he's always blessed, and he talks a little corny, but you could tell that the guy that wrote it was part of the church at some point because he's, he's really good at making fun of Christians. There's some, some people, I mean, they make fun of Christians like this caricature stereotype. And, man, you, you never met a real Christian, did you? But this guy, like, he gets it. But anyway, that has nothing to do with this. So I was the Ned Flanders. I was the token Christian and a Yankee fan. And I needed to run this place. So 360 kids every day after school. And I needed to be able to run it. So I had to earn their respect, which I did a number of ways. But here's the day that I knew that I was going to be accepted. The day that I knew that I was kind of in with them, which I didn't try to do, I just, I was just me, was the day they gave me that nickname, Ned Flanders. When they gave me a nickname, because they could speak frankly, it was like, we get you, we understand who you are, and we're accepting you by making fun of you. Now, I'm not saying that that's what we ought to do in the church, but there's something about that frankness of speech. There's something about, you know, a group of men will do this. Every group of men, everybody's got a nickname. Like in this town, I've noticed people from people that grew up in this town, you all have nicknames. You know, the Smiley who had the garage out at the end of town. Everybody's got a nickname. What was yours, Craig, on the football team? Scoot or something like that? You don't want to say it. I won't say it over the world live streaming. I won't tell everybody. But everybody's got a nickname. It's because you're known. And now we can have some good, clean fun with each other. There's something about a frankness of speech. When people can speak frankly and honestly with each other, it's how you know I'm accepted here. I'm all good. I belong in this community. So we give grace to those who hear when we speak the truth in love in the moment that they need to hear it. Confronting somebody in their sin and in their rebellion and in their weak moment is the best time to do it. And I want to talk a little bit as I close out today about how to receive words like that because we looked at some of the reasons why we don't speak frankly. And one of those is I'm afraid of how you're going to respond if I speak the truth to you. A little bit of a you can't handle the truth kind of feeling to it. <laughs> See, a lot more of you got that reference. Sometimes it's that. Most of the time it's because when we've been honest with people, they walk away offended. 
there was no motive, no agenda, no, no, I'm not trying to cut you down by saying this. I'm just trying to be frank because we have something of a breach between us and I don't like that and then people walk away. That's the number one reason why people leave a church, by the way, is offense. They're either offended with somebody or something that got said over the microphone by a preacher. They got offended with somebody else in the church and after weeks and weeks of sitting on opposite sides of the sanctuary, they decided I can't see that person anymore. I gotta find another church. Number one reason why people leave, leave the church that they're in. So to become not those people, to become a people, I'd, I'd like us to be the kind of people that wherever we go, corrupt communication stops. Like there's this... Um, there's this product I found a few years ago. It's, it's, it's like duct tape, WD-40, and Rust-Oleum Rust Reformer. Top three products that have ever been made. I had this cast iron stove. It's a family heirloom. My mother gave it to me, and it kind of gotten rusted and, and that. And I discovered this. I cleaned it up a little bit, sprayed the stuff on it. It is absolutely gorgeous. Rust Reformer. Did you know that Rust reformer is an anti-corrosive thing. It, it, you know, you can paint over rust. Has anybody ever made that mistake? What happens, well, I'll save you. What happens is if you paint over it, the rust is still going on underneath. It's still doing its thing. And it's still corroding it behind. All you did was mask it. Like, like how Jesus said, you make a whitewashed tomb. Just by cleansing the outside, you gotta scrub that rust off, you gotta do something about it, or it'll keep going. This stuff, it's like magic. It actually reverses the process of rust through, this is why chemists rule the world. That, that it, it actually reverses the process of rusting and begins to solidify what's left behind. It's an amazing product, and it makes it look pretty at the end of the day, which, which is the end goal of all things. So it reverses the process, but did you know that our mouth has the power to do that? When there's been corrupt communication, did you know that your mouth has the power to reverse the corruption that's gone out of someone else's mouth, even if it's our own mouth? That if our mouth can bring death, our mouth can surely bring life. Jesus could speak to a tomb where somebody was rotten and corrupted so much that his own sister said, Lord, he stinketh. He's been in a grave for four days and Jesus' mouth brought the man out and the only thing that needed to happen was unwrap those grave clothes because underneath he's not dead anymore and his skin's not receiving corruption any longer. Our mouth has the capacity to do that. So I saw this uh, post, Bill Johnson put this up a few years ago. Gossip dies when it hits the ears of the wise. Gossip goes around, there's no way around it. And you know, I, man, I used to, uh, you know, I was reading the Bible and listening to preachers and that, and they would always say about how women, the problem with women is gossip. Men, men are just as bad. They are. Go and hang out at the McDonald's in Halifax sometime. True story. Oh, Liz does. What are they talking about? They're talking about cars or they're talking about blah, blah. Did you hear what so-and-so blah, 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 blah did? Hang out at Reed Sunoco around those picnic tables in the morning. Men, men are just, listen on a work site sometime. Hey, did you hear what he said? Men are just as bad at it, so let's get over this whole stereotype. Men and women, we all have an issue with gossip. I believe it is one of the most acceptable, accepted sins in the church. The misuse of our mouth, the talking about things that we shouldn't be talking about with someone else that has the effect of corrupting their view of somebody. 
It's one of the most accepted things that we do. And, and I want to urge us today, I hope by the word of the Lord, to reverse that. That we would rather not only not be those who spread it, but be those who put a stop to it. Let's, be, let's ask for Holy Ghost Rustolium Rust Reformer anointing to be upon us because that's how you displace darkness. The spiritual warfare is won by removing every landing strip for every principality and power. If they have nowhere to land, nowhere to settle, nowhere to get rooted and established, then they lose. Principalities and powers can only ride on the authority of humans who dwell in the earth. God gave all authority to Adam and Eve and he never took it back. We still have the authority now to invite the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. And the primary tool that we do that with is how we use our mouth. So 1 Peter 4, 8, he says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. All of it comes back to love. The motivation of our heart, if it's not love, then I would suggest we learn to put a guard on our tongue. We learn to keep our mouth shut until we can get back in the presence of the Lord and have a love motive before we open our mouth before we deal with anything, even if we're 100% right about what we're about to say, if the motive of our heart is not love. Now, love doesn't just mean some mamby-pamby, oh, everybody just learn to get along. Love means confronting sometimes. I love my kids, so if somebody would break in the house with a weapon, they would not see the light of the next day because I love my kids. And I will protect them. That's what shepherds do, by the way. We went to this five-fold ministry workshop one time, and the guy was kind of describing things. He was a prophet, and he was describing all different five-fold ministry gifts. And he pastor, he was describing like this mamby-pamby, oh, I got to get along with everybody, and I just want people to love each other, and I just want to heal and comfort people and all that. And I went up to him afterwards and said, you know what shepherds do when a wolf comes around, right? So what do you think they got a rod and a staff for? I'll beat the ba 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 out of you if you come and mess with something I love. So love doesn't just mean like, you know, everybody get along, you know, it's going to be all right. That's not all of what love's about. Keep fervent in your love for one another. I dare you sometime to try to badmouth one of my friends in front of me. I'll respond in love for them and in love for you by stopping your mouth from badmouthing my friend. Right? That's what love does. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, very quickly, let's make sure we get something here. Love do, that doesn't mean love covers up a multitude of sins. This phrase, that phrase, that scripture has been used to cover pedophiles. It's been used to cover outright in the open sin. Well, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't cover it up. It just deals with it in a good, godly, biblical way. Jesus gave a four-step process on how to deal with sin. He didn't say, just ignore it. I'm about love now. It's the new covenant. I love everybody, and it's all good. That's not the new covenant. The new covenant is now we have access to grace, which means divine enablement to do the will of God. And I'm going to minister grace to you right now by stopping you in your tracks because that sin is corrupting you and everybody around you like a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You're destroying the work of God all around you by what you're doing. So I love you. So if a brother sins, Jesus said, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If you win him over, great. You just won over your brother. But if he won't hear you, and this is where most Christians miss it, we skip over step one and go talk to other people first before we talk to that one. Right? 
before I go talk to the one whose sin has just become exposed before my eyes or just sinned against me, I'm going to go talk to two or three other people about it first. And then maybe I'll pray about whether I'm going to go talk to him or not. Can I just save you a little bit of prayer? I mean, I don't want to ever stop anybody from praying. But sometimes God already said it, and the answer to your prayer is, I already told you what to do. You need to go talk to them. So we go to step one first. Most people gossip because they skip right over to step two because I'm offended with you now and I'm, I'm upset with you right now and so I'm going to go talk to two or three or four or five or 20 others about what you did. Jesus said if that person won't listen to you then go to two or three others who have witnessed the same thing so that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word might be established. Not two or three other people that we've gossiped to who are now ready to take our side because oh yeah I could totally see him doing that. That's not what this is about. This is, hey, we love you and your behavior right now, the things you're saying, the things you're doing right now are destroying things around you and we love you too much to let it continue. So this is like uh, how we use in the, um, in the addiction community, this is an intervention. We're coming to intervene right now so that you don't corrupt any further around you. Then if they won't hear you, tell it to the church and so on. So Jesus gave us this process and I'm absolutely convinced now, 20-something years of pastoring, that if everyone would just do step one first, there'd be about 90% less corrupt communication in the body of Christ. If we would excel at frankness of speech, loving one another enough to speak the truth in love and to do what Jesus taught us to, then most corrupt communication would just disappear just like that. So, there are four levels of communication that are unhelpful and even to the point of corrupt. And the first level would be a talebearer. A talebearer is somebody who just loves to tell the news. When we are being a talebearer, it means we just heard some information from somewhere and we can't wait to tell the world about it. It's like a self-appointed news reporter. And I'm going to tell everybody the news of what I just heard. Now, this seems innocuous, right? Sometimes there's good news. We want the whole world to know it. Has anybody else ever spoiled somebody's baby news by spreading it too fast? It's like before the couple had a chance to call their family and all the 20 other phone calls they had to make, the first person they told went and told the world, and then it got back around to that grandparent who's now offended because I heard through the grapevine that you're pregnant. Anybody ever make that mistake? You won't admit to it, but some of you, I know you have. The problem with being a talebearer, and this is, you know, again, it's not about, yeah, we want to keep up on celebrating the testimonies, and we want to, you know, be, be in, in together as a community. Family shares news with each other. The problem with being a talebearer is that you risk sharing somebody else's news. Sometimes it's just not our news to share. Sometimes not every detail of somebody's life that they've shared with us is for the whole world to hear. That's the biggest problem with social media. So the, the world out there that doesn't even really know who you are. Like I have a hard and fast rule on Facebook. I do not friend people or receive a friend request from somebody I don't know. I got to know you personally. I have to have had face-to-face fellowship with you. So that means all of you. By the way, I'm not saying don't friend me on Facebook. I, I don't even get on it that much <laughs> but the problem with Facebook is that the whole world was a bunch of strangers find out someone else's news because you posted it on Facebook and 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 that's a tale bearer there's and I'm not going to by the way there's like a hundred proverbs and scriptures on all of these words which I won't take the time to break down I do encourage you to do your own study in it if you find yourself getting wrapped up in all kinds of problems because of the way you use your tongue you should spend some time in the word and let the word take a cold to your lips 
And, and all of us need it. I'm in need of it. We're all in need of it, right? Anyone who's got his tongue completely tamed is a perfect man, James said. And none of us is perfect yet in that. But that's a talebearer. The next level is gossip, which speaks a little bit more that you are sharing negative news about somebody, something that somebody did, something that you heard somebody did, something that you heard from a friend or heard from a friend that somebody did. And now we're spreading that story all around. Now, I've walked with a bunch of people. I've met some when they were doing time in prison. I've met some when they were at the bottom of their lowest of low of addiction. I've met people who have been prodigal to the point of getting their girlfriend pregnant, all kinds of crazy things like that that have happened in my life, not just as a pastor, but just as being an an adult in the body of Christ. And if I would share all of the things that are happening with somebody's life with the community, well, here's the risk. Some people are wise enough and mature enough to just receive that and take it to the Lord in prayer. But then there's others within any community of people who will take it and now their their view of that person has just been lowered because of the information we just shared. That's the power of gossip. That's the reason why gossip is so spoken of over and over again in the scriptures. There might not even be a malicious motive behind it. I'm just sharing negative information about somebody that for whatever reason, I believe somebody else needs to know. The problem with that is that now when I view that person, that is a piece of information I have in my mind about them that can make me think less of them. So imagine the prodigal son coming home to the house and before he even gets there, all the servants in the house, all the other sons and daughters in the house, they all know all of what he's been up to in that faraway land. Now, we know the father was mature enough to, in love, receive his son back and never say a word about it, but is everybody else in the house of that same mindset, right? We're all in process. The problem with gossip, which means sharing negative information about somebody, is that we think less of that person. It makes it difficult for somebody who we des- how many of you desperately want to see prodigals repent? Desperately want to see somebody who's far off from God come back home to God? We make it difficult when the story's been shed abroad. When everybody knows what's been going on, it's really, really hard. What's the re- number one reason why somebody doesn't come back to God? Shout it out. Shame. Number one answer, shame. I'm ashamed of what I've done. I don't believe I could even face my father. That's what the story went, right? The younger son in that story, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'm no longer worthy. Well, we make it really difficult in the world for somebody to turn and repent when they've been gossiped about and the whole world knows their story. Malicious gossip is the next level. That's when we share the negative information, but we are on purpose trying to undermine somebody else. I want to make sure that you know this so that you will never accept that person again. The world needs to know what that person did. And I don't care if it means that they'll never come back to the Father. They've hurt me. They've offended me. I am wounded. They deserve punishment for what they've done. Malicious gossip is a way of punishing somebody for what they've done. You know, our greatest fear is not death in and of itself. Our greatest fear is being an outcast, being separated, having no community, having no love. We were created in the image of God who was love to be an object of his affection and to pour out our affection on him and those, the others that he's created. We were made that way. So the greatest fear that we've got 
is that we will always be an outsider, never accepted in a community of love. Some of us have learned how to, thr- how to survive in life by saying, well, I know God loves me. I don't care if nobody else loves me, which just means we've learned how to harden our heart against our brothers and sisters around us. Not a healthy place to be. Malicious gossip is a way of punishing somebody to make sure that they are like, go to your room and stay there. That's what malicious gossip does. Malicious gossip is, is on purpose. It's like, you know, there's a couple of different levels of murder. One of them is when you accidentally murder somebody, a second-degree murder, when in the heat of a moment or something like that, you kill somebody and you tried to kill them, but you did it in the heat of the moment. First-degree murder is when you made a plan and then you went and murdered somebody. That's first-degree murder. Malice aforethought is the legal term for that. I remember that from high school. Thank you, Mr. Jacobs. <laughs> 10th grade law class in high school. I still remember that. I don't know why I was so fascinated with the different degrees of murder. That's malicious gossip, though. Malicious gossip is I am on purpose now going to sow discord. You know, the six things that the Lord hates, (coughs) seven which are an abomination to him. You know what the seventh one is? A tongue that sows discord among the brethren. That's what malicious gossip is. I am on purpose ruining somebody because I'm offended with them and I will get them whatever it takes. The worst level of all is slander. That's when we make up stories because, man, my malicious gossip doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. So now I'm gonna have to make up something. Obviously, these people can't see how evil that person is by what they did, what I'm telling them they did. So I'm gonna make up some other stuff. I'll turn that molehill into a mountain or I'll just fabricate things (coughs) on purpose just to make sure that nobody ever accepts them again. Be on the lookout for these things. I don't believe any of us is a participant in any of those things, right? (coughs) Love believes all things. That's who, so these are the things that we're looking for. Remember I shared early on about the autoimmune system, how um, there are things in our body, there are white blood cells that have the capacity to detect a foreign invader. And I'd like us to be that for these kinds of communication, that we are on the lookout when these things happen We're going to respond in a good, God bless you, sweetheart. (coughs) Thank you. (laughs) We're on the lookout for them so that we can do something about it when it happens right before our eyes. So here's the thing about all of these things. It is never our job to confess someone else's sin. If we ever find our mouth sharing with other people someone else's sin, then we've slipped into the slippery slope of one of these corrupting forms of communication. It's just not our job. (coughs) Our role in the world is not to tell the world about someone else's issues. (coughs) That's their job. Excuse me, I got one of those dry spots in my throat right now. Hang on one second. Think about that for a moment. That's just not what we're here for. Gossip is sharing information with somebody that might make them think less of the subject of your conversation. So as we share and as you hear people sharing, if you detect, hey, my opinion about that person that I'm hearing about right now is getting lower and lower, I'm gonna give you some wisdom in a minute on how to stop that in its tracks. Gossip stops when it hits the ears of the wise. I want us to be wise. I want us to be wise with this thing that really does undermine a community. It undermines the work of God. You ever get grubs in your yard, in your grass? You know what they do, right? They chew, they eat the roots of your grass. All of a sudden, your grass is brown. You don't understand why. It's because something's been chewing away at the roots under the soil. That's what gossip is like. All of a sudden, things die, and we don't know why. This is it. 
If someone is not part of the problem or part of the solution, then they don't need to know about it. I mean, that's a simple rule for how to put a guard on our tongues about gossip. (coughs) If they're not the issue, I'm not speaking directly with the one who has the problem or this person I'm talking to isn't going to be helping me to resolve the problem, then they just don't need to know about it. That's just a good rule of thumb right there. That's like a, put, put that like a stop sign in front of our mouths so that we never enter into that <coughs> on the other side of it. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't need to process things sometimes. I know I have people that I go to for help. <coughs> Let me think this thing through. Am I seeing this the right way? Am I off somewhere? Am I allowing personal offense? Or is this a personality problem I'm having? Or, you know, am I the issue in this? And I do have people I process it with. And here's just some tips for that. Share with those who are wise enough not to become hardened against the one you're talking about. That may narrow down the playing field a good bit depending on who you keep company with. I pray that all of us have two or three wise people in our lives who are able to stay dispassionate and above the conflict. The name of the Lord is like a strong tower which the righteous run into or are saved. Who's living in that strong tower exceedingly high above the conflict? (coughs) Those are the ones that we can genuinely process with. Now, Now all of us know better than to be manipulative about that, right? Like, no, I just need to process this with you. You know what? Most gossip in the church anyway begins with, hey, we just need to pray for so and so. And let me tell you this 15 minute story about why. No, we need to pray for so-and-so. They're really hurting right now and they're not behaving like themselves. Now let's pray, right? That's how we keep away from any of that corrupt communication. Share with those who are wise enough not to become hardened against the one that we're sharing it with. I'm gonna go to my grave with so many secrets of people's sins and and things like that. (coughs) I can't even remember them all. It's one good thing about not having a great detailed memory. You can confess things to me and I'll, tomorrow it's like separated like east from the west, buried in the sea of forgetfulness. (coughs) I'd like to say that's a fruit of the spirit, but it's just a personality weakness thing of my brain. But share with somebody who can help you frame your confrontation. Go to somebody that you know is a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. Share, if you need help (coughs) to go and confront something, Go to somebody that you know to be a really good peacemaker. Hey, can you help me frame this thing? Because I really want to talk to so-and-so, but I don't want to make it worse. Number one reason why we avoid, this is this third number one reason I think I've named, right? (laughs) Why we avoid having that conversation? Because we're afraid I'm going to say something that makes it worse. Well, go to somebody who's a peacemaker, somebody who's wise. Help you sort out what was the real sin issue? What's the thing, you know, it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. Is there anything in this I could just overlook? By the grace of God, I could just say, <clears throat> all right, Lord, that hurt, but I can overlook that. But this needs to be confronted. Help me sort those things out from one another and help me frame what is the real issue that I need to talk about. That's very appropriate. Find a wise person. Hopefully you have somebody in your life like that to help you frame it. Share with somebody who you know is gonna help keep your heart from becoming offended. This is a really good one. I hope you have a friend in your life who can get in your face and say, you are so off right now, I'm wondering if you're even saved. Now, they may not be that frank with you. That's very New Yorkish to say it like that. But <clears throat> no, somebody who's not afraid to confront you and say, whoa, 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 dude, what's that? It sounds to me like you're offended right now. It sounds to me like you're just angry and you want to punish them with your mouth. You, we all need a friend like that. Somebody who will turn our heart back toward the Lord <clears throat> 
I urge you, don't process issues like this with anybody that you don't know is going to keep your heart focused on the Lord in it. Because what will happen next is if that person's not strong enough or wise enough to turn you, you're going to turn them against the one. Now you're gossiping. Now, now it's become a gossip session instead of a I need help resolving this issue session. Share ultimately and most importantly of all with the Lord. <clears throat> most of us skip this step. <clears throat> we get offended. We get hurt. This is something to happen and then we just go off on our own and then we do our own thing like, no, I'm not talking to you right now, Jesus. I'm going to have a pity party and I'm the guest of honor first. I'm going to be mad for a little while. I'll be back. Don't worry, I'll be back. But first, I'm going to go have a little temper tantrum all on my own first. <clears throat> the danger of that, of course, is God help us if we run into the person we're offended with before we talk. And they do another thing that offends us. So we go to the Lord. He get, and, and how do we know that we've had enough time with the Lord? <clears throat> when we've forgiven to a place where now, not only are we not offended with them any longer, but we have a heart of compassion for them. That's how we know we've spent enough time with the Lord. Jesus said, Jesus said unless you forgive from your heart, <clears throat> you won't be forgiven. So there's a, a decision to forgive that we all must make, right? When somebody hurts us, we make a decision to forgive. We know it's the right thing. We've read the parable, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, rather. <clears throat> we know what Jesus taught about it. We know that we have to forgive. Forgiving from the heart is what we get when we get past the have to into the I get to. And that happens with Jesus. That happens when Jesus comes in like a flood. That vision that Joel had that he opened up with today, <clears throat> when he just starts pouring water into us to where it just it displaces all that junk that settled to the bottom of our heart. You just keep pouring the water in until that all flows out. <clears throat> now we have a clean heart. Created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Now we have a clean heart to go and confront the issue that needs to be confronted. How do we know our hearts become clean? We have compassion for the one who sinned against us. I have met with people that slandered me and gotten face-to-face -face with them. I'm just testifying about the power of this and telling you it works. <clears throat> Who are outright slandering me. I looked them in the eye, sobbing hard, crying, pleading with them to be reconciled. It works. <clears throat> it absolutely works. If not, then what's the point? Why do we need a heavenly father? Why do we need grace? Why do we need an anointing? Do you know the only time <clears throat> that the apostles asked Jesus uh, for help on something was when <clears throat> one of them said, hey, how many times a day do I have to give, forgive? Seven? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. And then one of them replied, oh Lord, increase our faith. <clears throat> only time they asked for more faith. Not when he sent them out two by two to go heal the sick and raise the dead and, and you know, cure leprosy. No, no, no problem. Yeah, we saw, we got that. Forgive 70, 490 times in a day? And you know that was just metaphoric, right? It means always forgive all the time. Don't, don't you be keeping track. That's 362, and it's only 9 a.m. You know, that's not what he meant. But they said increase our faith. Why? Because we're going to need power for this. This is how the world gets changed, guys. This is where it comes from. Remember, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if in our heart we're carrying any unforgiveness, it's going to find a way out. In our words, even when we sincerely say, <clears throat> I got to go be reconciled with my brother. 
So Proverbs says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and when there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. What's a whisperer? Somebody who's going around and sharing the story, (coughs) telling many people, sowing seeds of discord, sowing those kind of things where people are starting to think negative about the one you gossiping about, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. If you have somebody, you know, they, they say that you can tell somebody, uh, tell what somebody's about by their three closest friends. So I, I do this with my life. Who are the three people that I view as closest to me? Like people that I have no verbal filter when I speak with, people that are allowed to speak to me any way they want to anytime. <clears throat> Who are those three people that I spend the most time with? Those three people, when you look at somebody's life, the three people I spend the most time with, you can tell what they're about. So if somewhere in the three people that you spend the most time with is a contentious man or a contentious woman, I urge you to reconsider your friendships. I urge you. There is no way that that's not going to influence you, and it may also be a reflection of what your actual values are. You know, there's, there's values that we really hold, and then there's aspirational values that we hope to get to one day. <clears throat> All Christians aspire to be just like Jesus, but our actual values are reflected by who we surround ourselves with. If you've got somebody who's contentious, it just seems like you're always mad by the end of the conversation, always bad-mouthing somebody, something, and I don't care if you know them or don't know who you're bad-mouthing, <coughs> I urge you to reconsider your friendships. Like iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. That's somewhere in the Proverbs, and I can't find the address in my mind right now. What it literally reads in the Hebrew is like iron sharpens iron, so one man turns the countenance of his friend toward the Lord. That's the picture of that proverb. Do you have three people in your life that when you talk with them, you always end up facing Jesus by the time you're done? Praise God, you got a good life. You really do. You have a good and rare life. And if you don't, God, I pray right now that you would surround every one of us Every one of us with a community like that, everyone who's watching, everyone who's in this room right now, I pray that you would surround with two or three people that will always keep our hearts focused on Jesus. I pray you have that. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost part of the body. It's an amazing thing. You You know what the thing is with all sin, right? Nobody would do it if it wasn't pleasant. Nobody would gossip if there wasn't some kind of, a, you know, the chemistry in our body, that dopamine hit we get when we do something that brings pleasure to us. So what is it about gossip that makes us feel good on the inside? What kind of, uh, what is it that makes, you know, something that we know to be wrong pleasurable to us? Why do we enjoy hearing the dirt on someone? And I want to encourage you, urge you, admonish you maybe, that if you enjoy hearing bad news about people, there's something that you got to ask for deliverance from and freedom from in here. There is a, there's a problem. That is a symptom of a problem. If I enjoy hearing bad news about somebody, I've got something in here that Jesus needs to fix. And there is something about that. There's something about hearing somebody brought down a size. This, our culture excels at this, doesn't it? This is one of those countercultural things. You all with me in being countercultural? Here's a cultural phenomenon. We put people up on pedestals so we could shoot at them. Man, it is just every election, that's how it's going to be. The, they even strategize now on how not to be the front runner until the very end of the election because the front runner in the campaign is the one everybody's shooting at. 
because we put people up on pedestals just so we can knock them off of them. And there's something pleasurable about that. It's a sick, twisted pleasure. What is it? It's because we've got something on the inside of us that's so insecure, something on the inside of us that's not rooted and established in the love of God, something in us that makes us think less of ourselves, that it brings us pleasure and delight to see somebody knocked down to size. And the the bigger they are and the harder they fell, the more pleasure we can receive from that. Well, that obviously, that's the culture we're in. (laughs) Countercultural is when we become secure in Christ and it grieves us to hear of someone's weaknesses. Even when there's somebody that we think is just evil and they have an evil agenda. There's everything about their lives from what we know is something that really bothers us. This is Daniel when he, he interprets a dream for Nebuchadnezzar and he sees that God's about to bring judgment to him. And Nebuchadnezzar asks him, interpret this dream, Daniel. Tell me what it is that I'm seeing. And he tells him, and Daniel's response to him, you can read this, is, oh, my, my king, if only this dream were for your enemies and its interpretation for those who hate you. That was Nebuchadnezzar, a demonic king who had just conquered Israel and brought Daniel away in captivity. That was Daniel's response to hearing God's judgments coming your way. And you're going to be out there like a wild animal eating grass. That was Daniel's response. How did he get to that place? He was like an Old Testament prophet doing a New Testament prophet thing. He got some kind of grace. Some kind of grace. When we've been perfected in love, even somebody who's behaved like an enemy to us, you all realize that we have no enemy that has flesh and blood, right? All right, that's like four or five of you. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers, right? There is no enemy that has flesh and blood. Now, flesh and blood can take on a voice on behalf of our enemy. Absolutely. When we get to a place where we can look at that one who's been a voice and has provided the activity for the kingdom of darkness and look at them with compassion and a sincere hope that they'll repent and turn their heart toward the living God, Lord spoke to me while we were in pre-service prayer today that for some of us, and this might be for watching or for some of us who are here in this room, we want to be those who are out there doing what we see the Father doing, right? We want to see people come to repentance. We want to see people come alive to God. And the Lord's really spoken, thundered this inside my soul this morning that one of the things inhibiting us is that we're offended at the very one that we're supposed to love that our offense at somebody is preventing us from seeing the work of grace in the Father's heart to them. I've seen this happen in marriages before where, like for example, a woman's been praying for her unsaved husband for years and years and years, and then he finally repents. He finally sincerely falls on his face, gives his heart to God, and now he's actually showing fruits of repentance, not the fake kind of whatever I need to do in that abuse cycle. No, I'm not talking about that. I mean like actually good and saved and showing the fruits of repentance. But she's been offended for so long that she can't even see it when it's real. That is a, that's a dangerous place to be. <clears throat> so we keep our heart in this place. Love, 1 Corinthians says, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. If we can, this is where all of the spiritual warfare comes back to, God help me to keep my heart of love. 
I've been baptized into Christ. I've been baptized. I'm part of the Godhead now. I am in Christ. I am wrapped up in the love of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I am in that. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. And so I have been remade into the image of the God who is love. If there's anything in me not motivated by love, not surrounded by love, then God baptize me fresh with your spirit so I can have eyes of love. So when I look at the world around me, I'm not putting people in camps and categories like the world does. I'm not putting people in that one's evil, that one's a sinner, that one's a saint. You know, the whole point of all the parables that Jesus told was because the Pharisees had divided the world into two camps, saints and sinners. That is not how Christ operates. Jesus brought the truth of heaven to those Pharisees and said, no, the way the Father views it is that there are sons who live in the house and then there are lost sons who are out there in a dangerous, perilous place. But the father's eye is always sincerely, eagerly waiting for the return of that prodigal. That's the right place for the heart to be. That's the heart that stayed in love. How do we know that our heart's there? <clears throat> when we hear bad news about somebody, somebody just got knocked off their pedestal, we heard a bad report about somebody, it grieves us. We don't celebrate it. It grieves us. So, how do we keep, if we hear gossip, let, let's become those now who are like that rustolium. How do we become those who, when gossip hits our ears, it stops there because we help the person who's now using their mouth in a corrupt way? How do we do it? First, number one, remain objective. When we hear a report, there's a great proverb that would, all of us would do well to remember <clears throat> he who speaks first in a matter appears correct until another comes to examine him. You ever hear a testimony? I mean, we got one trial. I'm not even going to name it right now because it's so annoying. One trial that's in the news and you hear somebody tell the story and you think, what an evil jerk. I can't believe he would ever do that. Then comes the cross-examination. It starts picking away at some of the details of the story. You go, oh my goodness, that was completely fabricated. Wasn't even true. That's why we do legal things the way that we do them because we want to get at the truth. When somebody shares information with us, how do we avoid getting into the gossip circle with them? We remain objective. When, when somebody is sharing with us <clears throat> bad information about somebody, I'm now beginning to look, and I pray that you'll begin to look at that person because I'll say to people, well, so-and-so is not here right now, so I'm here to help you because you're in this room with me right now. So I'm assuming that you coming and speaking to me means you want my assistance with something. So now you're locked in because I love you and because clearly you're carrying something that's bringing anxiety into your life that maybe even it's unforgiveness, which I know will turn into bitterness, which will become roots of bitterness and will defile many. So since you're sharing this with me, first of all, I want you to know I'm not going to be the judge because so-and-so is not here right now. I don't have their perspective on what just happened. And I'm not saying no. And, and then you know what they'll say, right? Well, you think I'm lying? No, I'm not saying you're lying. But you are a person of perspective. You are human, just like all of us. And you have a viewpoint on it. I don't know whether you rushed to judgment over there, whether you made the leap to the island of conclusion over here or not. I don't know. But I'm here to help you right now, not so-and-so that you're talking about because you're in front of me. So that's going to set the context for this conversation. I'm here to assist you, not to bring judgment or not to, not to enter in. Because the problem is if I 
agree with you in your judgment. Now I've got a secondhand offense that I've got to work through. And there's no solution for secondhand offense. Do you know that? You can't forgive somebody who didn't sin against you. There's nothing to release. Forgiveness means a debt owed is forgiven, right? So if, if somebody didn't sin against me, I have no debt that I can forgive them. They didn't rob me of anything. They might have robbed you of something, but I can't forgive them on your behalf. I can keep them released. I can pray that God will visit them, but you're the one who needs to release them from the judgment. You're the one who needs to forgive and release. Forgive their debts as you you were forgiven of your debts. That's on you, and I'm gonna help you do that now. You all with me? Did I say that right? Sometimes my words get jumbled up in my head. There's no solution for secondhand offense. That's one of the problems with when we engage in any level of gossip is that we've now put somebody in a trap Somebody has now heard our words and is now at risk of making judgments about somebody in a situation that they have no firsthand knowledge, they have no perspective on it at all except for yours, and now they may enter into judgment. Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged, for the measure by which you judge judge will be measured back to you. No, I just put that person in a trap. Because if they do make the mistake of entering into judgment with me, now they're under something. Now they've opened the door, given a landing strip for all kinds of things to come into their lives. I don't want to do that to anybody. So when you're hearing it, remain objective. Let, let the judgment just bounce, reject it. If there's any temptation to enter in and become the hero, oh, I'll save you from that evil blah, blah, blah that you're telling me about right now, reject it outright. Don't let it settle in your heart. Remain objective. <clears throat> Ask the person that you're speaking to, so why do I need to know this? What is it that you're, what's your goal in this conversation right now? Like I said, maybe it's because I'm a pastor. When somebody begins to share negative information about somebody with me, I assume you want my help in forgiving them, don't you? Or you want my help in how to go to them in a good godly way to resolve this issue, Right? I'll say how many conversations stop right at that point because we should. This is, this is Holy Ghost Rustolium, Rust Reverser now because I want to reverse this corruption that you just almost spread to my heart and I want to make sure that when you leave this conversation, you're not going to go spread it somewhere else because I don't know about you, but I don't like driving rusty cars. My first car, <laughs> I had this 1974 Dodge Dart. It was like poop brown. And it had a six-cylinder slant. I mean, that thing went from zero to 100. And Anyway, it was just a powerful car, but it was entirely rusted out underneath. Like, it had been welded in three different places. And it was one of those cars where when you hit a bump, you really wondered, oh, I don't see any wheels spinning down the highway. I think I'm okay right now. It was like that. That is not fun to drive in a car that's got corruption in it, where, like your fender is held on by duct tape. Not fun. Nobody wants to live in a community where it's allowed to spread. So this is how we say, all right, this is where the rust reverser begins. I'm going to help you. Why do I need to know this? Tell me what your motive is in this. And a lot of folks at that point, I've had them say, oh, you know what? <clears throat> I just really am angry right now. And I'm sharing with this with you because I'm angry right now. Okay, that's a good starting place. Confession is the beginning of inviting grace into our lives. Now that you know that you have an issue... Let's pull that log out for a minute. 
Because Jesus does want you to take the speck out of that brother's eye. We looked at that last week. It's no fun. Jesus didn't say, don't take the speck out of anybody's eye, you filthy, judgmental, blah, blah, blah. He said, no, no, no. I want you to get the speck out of your brother's eye because then you'll walk around all day like this. I want you to help him with that. But, but first, you've got to get the log out of your own eye. You're going to be whacking into people with that log. So let me help you remove the log from your eye. Why do I need to know this? That's a good question to ask. Then offer to help resolve the issue. Can I help, how can I help you with this? Would you like me to open up the Word and show you a little bit about what Jesus taught and about how Paul went about resolving conflict? There's a lot of great information in the Bible about how to resolve issues. It's God's favorite thing to do. Reconciliation is our ministry. We are called to reconcile people to the God of heaven, so let's become masters of it here among ourselves and among all of those that we touch and all those with whom we connect. Let's be masters of reconciliation. So how can I help you with this? Uh, maybe it's not such a big deal. Well, no, no, it was a big enough deal for you to come and talk to me about it. If it was important enough for you to voice to me, then it's important to your heart. The abundance of your heart just spoke some things, and I love you. And now I'm locked in because you came to me with this. So how can I help you? Okay, well... I'm going to go talk with them. Okay. Okay, you, you go, go talk with them. I'm going to follow up with you in three days. I'm going to ask you, how did it go? Because <clears throat> you just told me some bad information, and you said, well, I'm going to go talk to them about it, which you should have done in the first place. And I'm going to follow up with you in three days and see how it went. Because <laughs> you know that most people, many people, I should say, at that point are saying, well, I'll go talk to them, but they never do it. They just want to back out of a conversation where they're going to be accountable and responsible for what they do with the offense that they're carrying right now. Sometimes I'll even, if I'm feeling particularly aggressively loving in that day, I'll say, I'm going to give you 48 hours, 48 hours to go and talk to so-and-so, and then I'm going to call them to let them know that you're offended with them. You know why? Because Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that someone has ought against you, Leave your gift at the altar. First go be reconciled to your brother. Then come and make your gift. So I don't want them to be bringing gifts to the altar knowing that there's somebody offended with them out there because I want them to live biblically too. So I'm going to give you 48 hours, maybe 72 if I'm feeling gracious that day. And then if you haven't done it yet, I'm going to let them know, hey, you got an issue with so-and-so, and I don't want to be driving a car that's got corruption in it. So I'm going to help you two to come together. I will be mediator if you need me to. But this isn't going to be just sitting like this. Now, some of you have experienced that with me if you have, and I hope that doesn't prevent you from coming and asking for help because this is something we've got to master, guys. This is something that we have got to be the best in the world at. I was reading through 1 Corinthians, and in chapter 6, Paul gets into this thing where there were brothers suing each other and going before an unrighteous judge. So the two Christians going before a pagan judge because they couldn't figure out some dispute that happened at the marketplace or something like that. And they're suing each other. And Paul freaked out. He said, what? Is there nobody wise among you that could bring the two of you together to work this thing out? Are you telling me that in a church your size, with all the gifts of the Spirit flowing the way that you have them flowing, that you can't find one wise person who could objectively and dispassionately listen to you and help you work that problem out? Can I just tell you something here at Hillside? We've got a whole heap of people that are wise enough to help with any conflict we got going on in this place. I'm looking at some of your faces right now. There are people in this house 
that if you will open yourself and trust and say, yeah, I want some help. I don't want there to be so much as the thinnest of veils between me and anybody that I call brother, anybody I call sister. Yes, I want some help resolving this thing before it blows up and I end up doing something I regret later on. I pray that all of us are courageous enough to be willing to come and say, I may have a log in my eye on this subject. I've got a perspective, and I believe it may be twisted because I'm offended right now. Would you please get involved and help? Man, I could tell, I could name 30 people right off the top of my head that are present in this room who could help with that. So let's be that. Follow up afterward. Let me close out this series on the tongue. That, that's so much more that could be said about this, but I pray that we just master the art of using our mouth to be ministers of reconciliation, ministers of righteousness, ministers who, man, when, when there's corruption going around our community, when, we, when it gets to one of our ears, that's the end of it, and the rust reverses, and now we're going to begin to sow righteousness in that place. And so in Ephesians 5, Paul wraps up this, this whole section. Of, Don't be drunk with wine. There's dissipation in that. But be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another. How do we speak to one another? In psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs. Notice it didn't say you have to sing to one another. I mean, if you do that, that's great. You know, some of us can do it. Some of us shouldn't do it. I don't know, I'm not going to name who shouldn't do it. But you can speak those things. Why? Read the book of Psalms sometime. There's not a single experience. There's not a single emotion. There's not a single thing on earth that any of us have ever gone through that isn't covered in the Psalms where you can't find. In fact, if you only had one, if I were lost on a desert island, <coughs> I could only take one book of the Bible with me, it'd be the book of Psalms to help me maintain my fellowship and my communion with the Father. Every single human experience is in that book. Speak those things. If you are a worshiper, if you're a worship leader, if you're a worshiper, which is all of us, that is your book. Try to memorize all 150 of them. It may take you a while when you get to 119. That's a real long one there. But, but all the other ones around it, man, you know, start with some of the short ones in the middle. You know, blessed be the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your sanctuary and bless the Lord. There you go. That's your first psalm to memorize. There's all kinds of great stuff. Speak those things to one another. Excel at that. Speak in hymns and spiritual songs. That's, that's the song of the Lord. That's the new thing that rises up. That's that, man, I got a, a speck in my eye. <laughs> that's why I kept talking about it. <laughs> Make melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. That's that next verse. And, and then it closes out with this. And this is the, the, where I want to kind of close this series on the tongue because <clears throat> be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That means that we are willing not just to speak the truth in love, but receive the truth in love. Being good receivers when those who love us enough to speak the truth to us. That makes it easy culture to be able to speak the truth in love. That, that eliminates that anxiety and that fear of, wow, I'm afraid that you're going to attack me back if I share something with you that's hurtful in the way you've been behaving. I'm afraid of your response. Now, what if the response was, wow, all right, I want to hear that. I, uh, this is, you know, I'm, I'm just speaking. I'm not judging you. I'm not attacking you with my words right now. I'm just sharing with you something that's hurtful 
about, you know, the happen in our relationship. And I, you know, if we've communicated that way, I really want to be reconciled to you. If we receive it well, and we become those who submit to one another in the fear of Christ, be subject to one another. That's all of us. That includes me. There's no hierarchy, right? Hopefully you've been around Hillside long enough to know we don't view leadership as a hierarchy kind of thing. Like here's the CEO. Then If anything, the kingdom of heaven is that corporate triangle reversed. There's nobody who can't hear the truth. Think of this. Peter Three and a half years in, this happened just a few weeks before the cross, felt comfortable enough around the Son of God to rebuke him. Now that's Peter. But Peter is the rock upon which Jesus said, I'm going to build the church. So he's the prototype for what Christians are like. He had no problem rebuking Jesus. That meant that Jesus himself set up a culture around him where his disciples could talk to him. They could ask questions. They could rebuke him even. Not a good idea to rebuke the Son of God. You're going to be wrong every time but you know the point is that he created a culture around him that they were free to speak he was free to disagree when they spoke but they were free to speak be subject to one another all of us there's nobody above rebuke there's nobody above correction there's nobody above reproof nobody in the body of christ the leaders who fall great series of book you got to read sometime especially if you're called to leadership it's called God's Generals by Roberts Learden why some succeeded and we're talking about like people that shaped Christian history why some succeeded why some fell and he just studied here's all the characteristics of their life their relationships all the things that they did around them 201 the ones that fell and fell hard it's because they viewed themselves as re- above reproof nobody's going to tell me I'm wrong. Nobody gets to tell me that I'm off. And these are people that are in like open adultery, going out, having a healing crusade with, with like literally giving a key to somebody in the middle of the service for some woman to go meet him back at the hotel room. That happened. Because the people that were surrounding that person were not permitted to speak into their lives anymore. Nobody's above reproof. Nobody's above rebuke. In fact, Wise people seek it out. Wise people are always looking for areas of improvement. There's nobody but Jesus that doesn't have blind spots. There's nobody but Jesus that doesn't have weaknesses. And there's nobody but Jesus who, even when we know what our weaknesses are, still don't fall into the same thing. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes you human. It means that you fail, you fall. That's why, as I've shared with you, anybody in this house that feels called into any kind of leadership, I urge you to submit yourself to the body of Christ. Submit yourself to the discernment of the saints of God. Be bold enough. I just spoke with a friend the other day. I forgot to ask her if it was okay to share this story, so I won't name him or her. Somebody who feels a call to some kind of ministry. And, and I suggested, well, how about we let, that, let the body of Christ be the proving ground or the laboratory for you to grow in? Meaning you get, re, you get feedback when you teach, when you exhort, when you prophesy, when you pray. Be open to the feedback that the people who know you the best are going to give you. And we'll see what rises to the surface. You'll see who you really are under the microscope of a couple hundred eyes and lives that are around you. You really get to know the truth if you open yourself to the input of the body of Christ. So it is with all of us. But those who are wise, those who are seeking after wisdom, here's what the Proverbs say. Don't reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. 
So somebody who just doesn't care, a scoffer is somebody who mocks God, who just doesn't care really about what God has to say about something. Reprove a wise man and he'll love you. A wise person is somebody who says, you know what, I know I'm not perfect and I value the feedback I get from other people. You know, even outside the kingdom of heaven, people that become billionaires, people that are really successful, there's some great studies out there to know and see what makes somebody really, really influential. What makes somebody, you know, like a Bill Gates type, rise to the top where others fail and fall behind? One characteristic they all have is that they're always looking for feedback and input from those around them. They surround themselves with strong people, vocal strong people. They surround themselves with voices that will disagree with them. You've all heard about Abraham Lincoln's cabinet of, I just lost the word. He surrounded himself with people that he knew disagreed with him on purpose because he wanted to sharpen his opinions and sharpen his discernment as president. He wanted to make sure he always heard the opposing view on every subject, and so he set up a cabinet full of people that weren't just sycophants who were going to say, oh yeah, that's right, good word. He surrounded himself with with conflict on purpose because he was a wise man and he loved it to be reproved. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. We're never above learning new things. We're never, we never come to a place, I don't care, 70, 80, 90 years old, never a point that we've learned everything there is to learn, never finish growing until Jesus returns. We're always going to be growing. Teach a righteous man, and he'll increase his learning. <coughs> so a community of the wise receives ongoing feedback from one another and walks together in mutual submission to one another. That's how we speak the truth in love, and we all grow up into all things who is the head, which is Christ. Can we stand to our feet? <coughs> Thanks for putting up with my dry throat coughing today. Father, I pray that we would be such a community. I thank you for the privilege of fellowship with people like this, even sharing a word today that could have been a hard word. Thank you for how comfortable it is here to speak the truth in love. Thank you for surrounding me. Can I pray personally? Is that all right? Thank you for surrounding me with people like this. People that are honest. People that are integrous. People that genuinely love you, Jesus. People that sincerely want to grow up into all things and be just like Jesus. Thank you for building us a community of people that make it easy to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. I pray that you'd open our hearts and open our ears to receive feedback one from another. I pray holy courage would rise up in all of us who have a harder time with the hard conversations. Thank you for the gentleness of spirit and I believe the sincerity of heart that just doesn't want to hurt somebody. But I pray a holy born courage to speak frankly and to speak the truth in love, and that spirit of love will rise up in every one of us, that there be none of us at the end of the day that would look around and say, boy, I wish somebody would have told me about that. Make us the kind of people that make it easy to grow. Make this a a community. Build us up into a community where lives could be cultivated and bear much fruit and demonstrate what disciples look like. Oh, what a joy it is to be numbered among a people like this, Father. Thank you for the privilege of fellowship with Hillside Christian Fellowship. Build us up, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Oh, I love you guys. Hey, make sure you go to Knoebels Grove on June 5th.
I know that there's a lot of other events going on, but if you don't have anything else going on, I think that's really going to be a fun day of fellowship. We're delaying our leaving for vacation so we can hang there with you guys. I really feel like God wants to build us up in fun and, and go to amusement park rides together and things like that. All right, I love you.